Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here. I thought um, Matt was going to be gone this morning, so I was going to be preaching and Matt was going to be gone. But Matt's actually here. I'm so glad that Matt's here this morning. Uh, Matt actually, he preached last week uh, on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and he was sharing about hope that God redeems all stories. And one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me was he told the story of his stepdad, Jay, who lives in Florida right now. And he was reporting that the Thursday before Easter, his stepdad, Jay, had uh, suffered a heart attack and was in a coma. And they didn't know whether he was going to wake up or how that was going to work out. And Matt was professing that from right here, he said, um, no matter what happens to my stepdad, I know that he's okay. It's going to be okay because he's in Jesus' hands. That whether he gets revived in this life or in the next life, that I have faith and I have hope that it's going to be okay. And I think that's just an awesome testimony to the fact that no matter what happens in our lives, we have hope because of the resurrection. And like Ryan was just saying, the resurrection affects every single aspect of our lives. And so Matt gave testimony to that last week, and and he he left from here, and he went uh, to the airport and flew down to Florida that night, and we were praying for him and for Jay and for the whole family going through this together. And we were praying, God, your will be done. We were also praying for healing, like God, wake Jay up. And so um, for six days, um, Jay was in a coma, and we got an email on Thursday morning from Matt saying, he woke up. So praise God, he woke up. We're praising God for that. It's uh, still a long road to recovery that he's still learning. I mean, he's squeezing hands, he's moving his feet, he's recognizing faces, he's He's, uh, he's got a ventilator on still, um, but God is faithful. But you know what? God would have been faithful no matter what. That, that's kind of the hope that we have is we praise God that, that he got healed and then he got brought back to life. But God is faithful no matter what, even if that wasn't the case. We trust God that, that uh, the resurrection makes a difference in our everyday lives. And that's what uh, we're going to be doing for the next six, eight weeks. How long is the next series? We're starting a new series called Because He Lives. And we're going to be exploring together what does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? What does the resurrection mean for our everyday life? And so we're going to be looking into some of the stories, the first appearances that Jesus makes after he's resurrected and before his ascension. He goes and visits his disciples. And we want to just dive into those stories and ask, what does the resurrection mean for us? What does it mean for us in our everyday lives? So today we're going to be looking at a story about Mary. And before we read the story, I just want to kind of set it up, give you some of the context. This story starts on Easter morning. Jesus has been risen from the dead, but nobody knows it yet. Nobody knows he's been risen from the dead. And Mary goes to the tomb early in the morning. She finds it empty. And her first assumption is not, oh, Jesus has been risen from the dead. Everything's okay. It's, oh my gosh, where have they put the body? I came here to, to pray, I came here to be with Jesus, and, and he's gone. Jesus was in a borrowed tomb. He was first laid in a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. And they knew that it was just going to be a temporary place for him to, to be, and then they were going to have to move him. And so she gets to the tomb and goes, they've moved him already, and I have no idea where he is, and I'm freaking out. So she goes back to the disciples, tells them, and then Peter and John come running to the tomb. And they see that the tomb is empty, and it says they saw and they believed. And when it says they saw and believed, it doesn't mean they saw and they believed in the resurrection all of a sudden. They saw and believed Mary 
They saw and believed her testimony that, oh, the body is gone, and they don't know what to do, so they go back to where they were. And Mary is left alone. She's left alone at the foot of the tomb. So you can open your Bible with me or read on the screens, John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. Before I read it, let me pray. Jesus, we want to see you. We want to hear your voice this morning. So we want to still our hearts and lean in and listen to your words that change everything. Speak now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and fill me up and fill us up to be able to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where, have you, where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what, that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord. That's the first, actually that's the first sermon. That's the first Easter sermon ever. She's like the first Christian preacher in history. She sees the risen Lord and she goes back and tells the disciple her testimony. I've seen him. I've seen the Lord. In John's gospel, this is what it's all about. There's, John makes a distinguishment between people who are blind in faith and people who can see. And disciples, Christians, are ones who can see Jesus, who have an experience of Jesus, who testify about Jesus. John actually writes a, an epistle later in the New Testament. It's right at the end of the New Testament. And it starts off, the whole letter starts off like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. For John, it's all about experiencing the presence of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We don't follow some, you know, value system as Christians. It's not that we follow some principles or basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not our faith. You can't just boil it down to a few principles. We follow a person, and we follow a person that we have experienced. That's what John is saying. 
And so I think it's interesting. Did you notice in the, in the verse, I, I think it's interesting when Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Why does Jesus say this? Why does, if it's all about experiencing Jesus, if it's all about seeing Jesus, why does Jesus tell Mary not to hold on to him? Especially since in a couple of verses, he goes to see Thomas and the other disciples, and he says, hey, touch my hands. Put, put your hands into my side and see that it's really, really me. And why doesn't he give the same thing to Mary? Did anyone else get bothered by that? I, I actually like reading this verse with a few other people this week, and that's what stuck out to all of us. Like, why does he say that? Do not hold on to me, he says. So I was looking back in my notes, and I, and I came across some of my notes from seminary in Greek. Uh, in, in Greek, this is, this is a passage that we looked at. And if you look at this word, do not hold on to me, it's not, really tra- it's not a great way to translate it. The best way to translate it is not do not hold on to me, it's stop holding on to me. It's, it's to ask her to stop doing something that she's already doing. Mary is already holding on to Jesus, and he's saying, stop holding on to, Jesus. Stop holding on to me. Stop holding on to me. I, I'm here. I'm really here. You've, you've touched me. I'm not a delusion. I'm not a vision. I'm really here with you now. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Jesus knows that Mary needed to see him, to hold him. He wasn't stiff-arming her. He was saying, yes, I'm here. I'm right here. You, you don't have to grab onto me. I'm, I'm really here. Jesus knew how important it was for Mary to have an experience with him. The first time that Mary sees Jesus, Jesus has cast seven demons out of her. This is like three years before. And from that moment on, her life was completely changed. Can you imagine if you were oppressed by seven demons, what your identity would be like, and then for that all to be taken away? All that's left is Jesus. And she dedicates herself. She devotes herself to becoming a disciple. In fact, I would argue that she is maybe one of the most devoted disciples, if not the most devoted disciple. I mean, look, she's there in Bethany a couple nights before Jesus is crucified, and she takes um, a pint of pure nard and pours it all over Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair, and the whole house is filled with the fragrance of perfume. And Jesus is amazed at her faith and her worship, even when everyone else is judging her and saying, that is uh, a waste she shouldn't be doing this. Who, who is she to touch you? And Jesus says, no, this is my devoted disciple. She knows what she's doing. She's worshiping, and she's anointing me for my, for my death and my burial. And then you go to the cross, and you see all, almost all the other disciples have fled. They've left. But Mary is there, worshiping Jesus all the way until his death. And then we see in the story, actually, a, the next day, Nicodemus goes and takes his men to... Um, to wrap the body in spices, to wrap Jesus' body in spices and, and, um, and kind of get him all ready for the tomb because they couldn't do that uh, because of the Sabbath. Mary did not have to be at the tomb that morning, on Easter morning. She didn't have to go and do any rituals or any tasks. She was simply there to pray. That's what she was there for. She's devoted, and, and she comes to the tomb, and she finds that it's empty. And I can just only imagine what she must have been feeling at that point. Like, the one thing in my life, the center of my life has been not only killed, but now I can't even find his body. And I think that's when it sunk in for her that Jesus is really gone. I can't find him. Where is he? Where is everything gone? I was following him for three years. He was my life, and now he's gone. She's standing outside the tomb crying. 
I can imagine she felt hopeless. As I was just reading this passage, I couldn't help but wonder and think about the areas in our lives where we feel hopeless, where we feel like our hope has been just taken away. I think of um, some of my friends. I have um, a few close friends who are struggling through infertility and who have gone to doctor's appointments for the last six years or so and have gotten negative results over and over and over and over again. And they pray and they ask the Lord, we want a baby, and just they don't hear an answer. And they feel hopeless. feel like, what's happening? Why... Why, why, can't, why can't we have what we ask for? They feel hopeless. I also think maybe there's some of us in this room who have relationships, whether it's a marriage that feels like it was going so well and something happened, or just over time, things just grew hopeless and dead. Maybe it feels like it's been taken away from you. Or maybe there's a relationship at work or with a child or with a parent, and it feels like, I keep reaching out to this person. I want this relationship to work. Where is the reconciliation that I long for? Where is the forgiveness that I long for? Instead, I feel this emptiness, like, like I feel unfulfilled. We feel hopeless in our relationships. For me, I, I even just turning on the radio and listening to the news in the world and wanting to believe that there's good things happening in the world and just feeling this flood of all these things happening from violence in our schools, from racism to uh, nuclear threats, um, natural disasters, uh, disease. I look at the world and sometimes I feel hopeless. It's too much for me to handle. And I want to just turn it off and hide and shut my ears and, and kind of give up on my hope for the world. We can feel hopeless. Hopelessness is, is in our lives, and, and that's where Mary is. Mary is at this hopeless place of the one thing in her life that was happening for her is gone. Woman, why are you crying? The angels ask her. And she said, they've taken my Lord away. And I think this is something really key to understand about hopelessness, that hopelessness has to do with Jesus feeling absent. Maybe we feel like there's a relationship that's missing. Maybe we feel like, like the, the world is is you know burning but what's really happening is that we're we're not sensing the presence of jesus mary says they've taken my lord away i don't know where they put him we're looking for jesus and we don't know where to find him and what i love about this story is that that um, mary is not running away from her circumstances like the other disciples are are doing who knows what and she's here at the tomb she's sticking with it and seeking Jesus. But even as much as she's seeking Jesus, I love that she doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds her. She doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds her. Jesus is standing behind her the whole time. And he appears. And, and, um, and he says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? He tends to the heart. He tends to the heart. And uh, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And he says to her, Mary. Calls to her by name. So there's a couple of things that I love about this that I just want to draw out. First is that, that Jesus finds us. Even as much as we want to seek Jesus, even in the places of hopelessness, 
Jesus finds us. He comes to find us. Ezekiel 34 says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on day of clouds and darkness. I love that no matter what, Jesus is showing up. And you actually see that in other passages of uh, you know, resurrection encounters where, where the disciples are in a room locked and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Or the, the two disciples are on the way to Emmaus and Jesus shows up and finds them. That God is a God who pursues us. He's a God of grace. That there's nothing that we could do to try to get our way to God. But God comes to us. The second thing I notice about this passage is that Mary doesn't see Jesus until he calls her by name. I love this. It says, uh, John 10 says, My sheep listen to my voice. They know, I know them and they follow me. That God knows us. Psalm 139 says, talks about God's intimate knowledge of us. He, he's formed us. He's created us. And he knows our names. And I thought, if, if Jesus knows Mary's name, Jesus knows my name. Isn't that cool? That Jesus knows your name. That as a follower, we develop intimacy with our maker. And he calls us by name. And we know his voice. And he knows our voice. There's an intimacy there. And when he says our name, we respond and we're able to see him. This is something that's so important for me. That's something I need to hear every day is Jesus call my name. I don't know about you. When I, um, when I wake up in the morning, I go downstairs and have my special spot where I open scripture and I, um, I open up to scripture and every single time I'm like, okay, these are just words. You know, I'm reading these stories, but I'm not, I'm not, hoping to just know more about the Bible, I'm hoping to encounter Jesus in here. And so I need to sit with this until I hear Jesus call my name. Does that make sense? Otherwise, this is just a devotional. This is just a, a religion. This is just uh, some ritual that I have every morning that, that makes me feel good about myself. This is a way that I, I chase after God. But if that's all it is, it's empty. It's purposeless. Just like Mary standing outside of a, a tomb looking for a dead body, it's going nowhere. But if I listen for Jesus to call my name, then, then it's something totally different. It's a God of grace who, who pursues me, who seeks after me, and he cares about me. That now all of a sudden my devotional life is not me trying to get Jesus, but it's Jesus waiting to meet with me. And that makes a huge difference. So it's about Jesus seeking us out and calling us by name. That's what it's about. I don't know where you need to hear this in your life. Um, I, I think of this um, a few years ago, a year and a half ago, I, uh, my grandfather was in, was in critical condition. We had found out that he had a cancer and he was about to die. And the doctor said, we have a few more days. And so I booked a ticket to go out there and I... Had our whole family kind of has a complicated relationship with my grandfather, Grandpa Jack. And he used to read stories to me as a kid, and I just have memories of getting to play with him and imagination. But as I grew older, I also found out that he um, had inflicted a lot of pain because of the decisions he made in his life. It inflicted a lot of pain on our whole family system. And so he was kind of a, a character in our, in our family's life who, who a lot of us wanted to avoid, didn't like being around. 
Um, but it's kind of complicated. I can't really, I can't really pinpoint it one way or another. Um, but he's just a complicated figure in our family. Anyway, he was about to pass away, and and the day came, and he he passed, and I went out for his funeral. And I remember I went to go get coffee with my dad because we were preparing to talk at his funeral. And I just felt a lot of inner turmoil. Like, I don't know how to talk about my Grandpa Jack in light of faith. I've never done that before. And I don't know where he stood with Jesus. And my dad had similar feelings. And so we were kind of wrestling over what to say. And my dad pulls out um, my Grandpa Jack's Bible. He said, I was going through all this stuff. We were cleaning through his garage and, and all his things, and I found his Bible. And he pulls it out, and he opens it up, and he says, and look what I found. He, he pointed to the book of Romans, and the whole book of Romans was just covered in highlights and underlines. The pages were worn. And all of a sudden, I realized that Jesus had found my Grandpa Jack. At some point in his life, that he understood that Jesus had grace for him. No matter what decisions he had made, no matter what he had done, that Jesus had found him. And we got to find the Bible. And all of a sudden it felt like Jesus was, had, had kind of just come into our situation where we felt hopeless, we felt despair and grief, that Jesus had come in and he had said, I'm here, I'm right here, look, look at this, I've been here all along. And so we got to stand up in front of in front of our friends and family and say with confidence, like, Grandpa Jack is in the arms of his Savior because our Savior is gracious. And that was just a totally huge change, huge change for us. And that was because Jesus sought him out and called him by name. Jesus called my Grandpa Jack by name. And that's what we need in our lives too. I had lunch with a friend this week on Wednesday, uh, we went out for lunch, and he's from Pakistan. And he was telling me about his family who is living in Pakistan now, and they own a grocery store that has been forcibly closed by Muslim extremists who have come into their town and who are pressuring their family into renouncing their faith in Christ. And so he's telling me about this, and he pauses, and he goes, so how was your Easter? I was just like... Uh, <laughs> um, we had a public worship service, you know, where that's illegal in Pakistan. We had a public worship service, and we uh, had a great dinner at my in-laws. My in-laws are here today. Hey, guys. We made, had some meatballs. We had an Easter egg hunt. I'm just telling this, feeling kind of guilty, like, uh. <laughs> and um, we went on to talk about how after, in, in June, he's going to be going back to Pakistan, and he wants to go plant a church there. That's a situation that, that feels hopeless, where there's so much uh, hopelessness and despair with his family, whose livelihood has been cut off because of their faith. He wants to go in that place. Why? Because Jesus has called his name. He's heard the voice of his Savior calling him to go back. That's what happens to Mary, isn't it? That Mary hears the voice of Jesus, she sees him, and then he calls her to go share, to be a witness. That you've experienced me now, you're accountable for this, you've had an experience of Jesus, and now it's your job to go share, to go share that, even if it's as simple as, I've seen the Lord. So as we just conclude this morning, I wonder where you are feeling hopeless in your life, what dead ends you might be hitting, whether it's in your personal life, maybe it's a relationship at work. Maybe there's uh, doctor's reports that are 
that are coming in that just feel hopeless. Or maybe it's simply turning on the radio every day um, and it feels like, you know, maybe you feel hopeless about the world. Wherever you are, we want to pray for you this morning. And it's important that we hear the voice of Jesus in our lives, that our circumstances might not change. Our circumstances might not change, but what does change is, is that Jesus can call us by name and we can have a sense of his presence. And that actually changes everything, doesn't it? To know that Jesus is here in the midst of this place. And um, I'll just kind of lead you with this thought. The hopeless places in your life, the places where you feel like there's hopelessness and a dead end, is exactly where Jesus wants you to witness his presence. The hopelessness, the hopeless places in your life are exactly where Jesus wants you to witness his presence. Maybe you feel like Jesus is not in this place. Jesus is not with me. This is a place where, um, where I'm just experiencing lots of hopelessness. But it's actually in that place where Jesus not only wants you to witness his presence as in experience his presence for yourself, but also become a witness that Jesus enters even to this place. So with that, let's pray. Um, I'm going to just invite you. We're going to worship. So as we begin this last song, I, I encourage you to come over to the prayer corner. There's going to be people over here. If you need to hear Jesus call you by name, if you haven't heard that for a while, if you need to know Jesus' presence in your life, please just come over and receive prayer. And um, for all of us, let's, let's spend this time in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I want to hear. I want to hear you. I want to see you. But so often there are places in my life where I am just plagued with hopelessness, with despair, places that feel like dead ends, like they're devoid of your presence. I pray now as we worship, you would just come and make yourself known to us. Open our eyes. Like we sang earlier, open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. Open our ears because we want to hear you. I pray that um, your presence would go with us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up. Let's worship.